Hello and welcome back to Podcasting as Praxis. I'm David and my pronouns are he and him. I'm Jamie and my pronouns are he and him. Hi, I'm Rob and my pronouns are he and him. And I'm Anastair and my pronouns are he and him. And it sounds really bad when you lay them all like, out like that. James, come back to us, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rip, rip diversity. Um, yeah, so uh, we're all here, minus James, um, who is unfortunately busy. Uh, but we'll return uh, in the bonus episode, I think, is the next one out that should have James in. Uh, yeah, so we've got a couple of little news articles, and then we're going to embark on a, a two-parter, so you can get the second part of this if you enjoy it. Um, on the Patreon once it's out. Uh, yeah, but Rob, yeah. What, 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 before we get into the topic of central banking, yeah, I, I don't know how to make that sound more exciting. I don't. Oh, well, I've got my, uh, I've got my Economics 101 textbook out, so I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know why I did this, but you know, here we are. Uh, it's too late to stop recording. Uh, anyway, first <laughs> thing I wanted to talk about was the not at all funny and very serious and needs to be condemned by everybody mob of slightly deranged, I think, anti-vax, anti-Jimmy Savile people yelling at uh, <laughs> Keir Starmer about said Jimmy Savile, Julian Assange and various, which has just been endlessly entertaining so far as I'm concerned. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this right now, like calling them anti-vaxxers and stuff like that, and at the same time calling them anti-Jimmy Savile people is an insult to anti-Jimmy Savile people like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be locked in the same boat. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> oh, this is just fucking beautiful, isn't it? This whole fucking thing, just oh, chef's kiss. You'd love to see it. Like Johnson said, technically nothing incorrect. Like he simply implied a timeline and it, of of some events which occurred, yes. not necessarily linked, and that's it. Well, that's all they had to do. I mean, it's, it's, I think I think really, you'll find, David, that um, according to factcheck.briefcase, that it's not no. true <laughs> and it shouldn't be said. Oh, so it's not true that uh, Keir Starmer was in charge of the Crown, the Crown Prosecution Service when Jimmy Savile was being well, investigated? Well, I think That's you'll find true. that that is true, mm. but the decision-making powers... Yes. <laughs> I guess uh, four out of thing. five Pinocchios, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing goes down well on the doorstep. Like, yes, but... Yeah. <laughs> we love to see it. Enjoy doing that, Labour people. Love it. I have to say, it's it's been so great because, like, this has been so obviously on the cards forever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we said it was was going to happen. It was a thing people were fucking, like, throwing throwing at them in 2019. Do you know what I mean? It was Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, Labour are bad because Corbyn, like, uh, hates the Jews was what you heard from, like, fucking, like, Baz on the street. But then they would also say, you know, that Starmer, that Starmer, like, hates fucking Britain and wants us back in the EU with his second referendum and he fucking didn't like he let Jimmy Savile go do you know what I mean and it was it was obviously only a matter of time like you can't but the centrists just you know what I mean Blair won a landslide in 97 and as far as they're concerned that is the only thing that has ever happened in all of history do you know what I mean there's no room (laughs) in their tiny brains for any other facts or like events or memories Mm -hmm. it's just no we are eternally popular so it never occurred to them that spending like 
five years building a fucking like media machine that was entirely weaponized against the leader of the the Labour Party would ever come back to bite them when their guy was leader <laughs> of the Labour Party because everyone loves them. Do you know what I mean? Everyone loves like fucking Blair and the centrists and the sensible fucking suit wearing cunts that are in charge. There wouldn't. There was no reason why anyone would ever fucking direct the media against like made up slurs on them. Yeah, I mean the funniest part of this is they could have just avoided all this by just like being outright cunts and not being shit at it. Like, had they just really fucking piled in, they could have probably avoided most of the bullshit that they're getting. Um, like it's constantly being reported on, and it's constantly being reported on as a well. We know this isn't true, and we are very loudly going to repeat the allegation to say that it wasn't yeah, true. So that's that you've been all my the allegation. Part. Like, all the Labour front bench and, like, half their comps are going, like, literally just repeating Keir Starmer and Jimmy Seville in the same sentence mm-hmm, over mm-hmm. and over again. And with, like, bah, but it's not true. And it's like, how do you not understand, like, the very basics of what you're fucking doing? It's, it's like, what? <laughs> it's, well, because, because, like, you know, the most important thing to them is that, like, the fucking referee, whoever that is, I think at this moment it's the Speaker of the, the House, is it? That they're all yeah, like trying to, yeah. but yeah. the important thing is that the referee recognizes that like decorum was breached and should be restored. Do you know what I mean? It's like fucking. It's it's the perfect, it's the perfect thing to say about like Keir Starmer if you wanted like to just like throw that grenade and then watch like as all of his fucking like allies just like you know what I mean like heaped explosives on it to try and like <laughs> stop it from going off. Do you know what I mean? Because they're incapable absolutely fucking incapable of just going yeah I'm, I'm not rising to that do you know what i mean because how dare he how dare he say a thing that wasn't true against a person mm-hmm. who like you know like fucking loves the loves the country and loves his magic uh, majesty and like fucking hates like benefits claimants and like rioters <laughs> do you know what i mean it's just obviously it was they were always going to do this because they're incapable of not do you know what I mean? It will not, it, they cannot leave it alone because it was like, it was a breach of protocol. And the, the great thing yeah. is though, that it's like, as, as David said, it's like, it is, it's kind of true in a way, but not obviously specifically true, but certainly more true than all of the shit that uh, all of the people currently uh, losing their minds at the moment about this. Uh, lost their minds over uh, one Jeremy Corbyn and the things that he is yeah. alleged to have done or said. Well, I mean, if reads if, if that we, he's laid and so on and so forth. I mean, if we're doing like six degrees of Jimmy Savile, like this is a lot more true than like Jeremy Corbyn uh, laid a wreath as at a Hamas shrine or whatever that was fuck, fuck was supposed to be, right? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, but the specifics of it don't matter. Like the the point is, oh, no. all of these all of these fucking dipshits happily like. Do you know what I mean? Happily, like, chipped in their fucking labour and their support to build a giant fucking rig that hung the sword of Damocles above the labour leader, <laughs> and are now like surprised when like it's still there and like the people who the, the people in charge of it like they, they won't take it apart. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like no, you built you built us this weapon for like fucking tormenting the labour leader, and we quite like it. We're gonna keep it. It's you fun. know what I mean? Yeah, we don't we don't care that the labour leader is now your guy. Thanks for the help, yeah. though. <laughs> it's, it's been real yeah. good. Bye. Yeah, no, it's yeah. unbelievable. Well, like, some of the some of the worst people that you know are now in the finding out stage. Um, yeah, which is good, and we love to see that. <laughs> it Fuck is. Em. 
But um, like, like but, it was always, it was always so obvious. But they were completely blind to it because, like I say, the only, the only fact they're cap- capable of like holding in their minds is that, like, nineteen ninety seven was eternal. Do you know what I mean? And that everyone yeah. loves the fucking like the the briefcase wing of labor like nothing else. Do you know what I mean? Despite the fact that, as 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 often noted, a fucking horse could have won that election in 1997. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You could have like painted a face on a sack of brick dust and just hurled it across like the fucking TV screens of the nation, and they'd all have gone, "Yeah, that looks that looks better than Major." Do you know what I mean? And like fucking, but my favorite guy. My favorite gag at the moment is that um, apparently the new line from the Tories and, and from Boris's office is that um, if the prime minister can be on the receiving end for weeks of allegations about parties, then the, applying the same logic, it should be legitimate to ask about the failures of the CPS when it was led by Keir Starmer. <laughs> oh, not, to, not to be by your own logic by the fucking <laughs> prime minister at number 10. Wait. <laughs> Honestly, by fucking um, by my horrible um, journey for comment or commentary later, uh, I, I wandered onto the Spectator and found an article in which someone had said, like, had fully written an article in defence of Boris Johnson from the vicious and untrue attack by Keir Starmer, and it was some, it was like one fucking part of a line where Starmer said, like, uh, Johnson uh, ruins everything and everyone that he ever gets involved with or some shit and like this was this was just a step too far for the spectator and was, just was the answer like just... no no at least one of his children is still speaking to him don't worry about it he did I, all the lives I, I no I, I did not fucking read through the full thing I skimmed it for <laughs> and couldn't find anything it wasn't funny enough to include nothing the good in there. the spectator wow I know right <laughs> fucked up um <laughs> But yeah, no, it's just like they'll happily turn that around on that and just not bother analysing anything because, again, it's a useful thing. And this is the funniest part about it all is that this isn't even all they've got. This is like a taster. This yeah, is yeah. just like, this is this is the um, check spy level shit we're on. That's all this, this is. is. This is plate number one in a five plate course of uh, <laughs> let's see how much we can just fucking run this Jimmy Savile shit into the fucking ground. If they can... Yeah. If they can go and lose their fucking minds as hard as they did over you know uh you know jeremy corbyn's going to tax your mum out of her house at home and all that shit they're gonna uh, like just the sky's the fucking limit like it's an absolute fucking taster of what's gonna happen if uh a general election comes around and keir starmer's still yeah. fucking leader good yeah. fucking luck to you just I wait mean, until what they for his war boys you say, yeah, if Starmer yeah. is, you say if Keir Starmer is still leader, but it doesn't literally does not matter. No, you know I mean? no, you are right. Boris yeah, no, Johnson it's... could be leader of the Labour Party at the next general election, <laughs> and he, still, he would still get both barrels about yeah, being I a fucking communist you... who hates Britain. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's... I promise you, some people in the Daily Express are writing columns that basically say that. Yeah. <laughs> oh fucking hell! What, what was it? Um. Oh no, I'm thinking of um. What's his face? Uh, writing, a, calling Keir Starmer a fucking communist, and us looking back on this oh, as Peter a Hitchens. golden oh, age. That was Hitchens. Yeah, Hitchens. Yeah. <laughs> the king. I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> look forward to more of that, that as well. He is. He's always been like that. So I'm fine with Hitchens doing that. Like that's. Listen, <laughs> you can't you can't comment on Hitchens because Hitchens actually operates in a different um, time different zone. Time zone entirely. Yeah, just like an entirely different temporal reality for six months of the year. So you can't possibly <laughs> conceive what he's doing until we switch back into the same time zone as him. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> shall we swiftly move on and, and, and revisit something we talked about recently, actually? Um, because the first annual financial statements are out from the Captain Tom Foundation, and they made for some great reading. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm sure everything. Old friends. <laughs> I, I'm sure that everything's above board. Everything, well, I mean, all the money has been distributed to worthy causes, and the NHS has been saved. The privatization has been reversed. Waiting times well, are down. More doctors, more nurses, uh, less yeah. sick people, more handsome sick people, more handsome They're doctors. Gonna, yeah, <laughs> etc. Every all the staff and the personnel have been sent one and only one uh, can of sad AF beer. Yeah, now everything's been been resolved. Um, <laughs> remember, remember when everyone in the NHS got a fucking pin for working through the uh, fucking COVID pandemic? <laughs> Jesus that was Christ, that yeah. was pretty cool, wasn't it? And all the pans and all that fucking love great. Love to wear, uh, love to wear now, flare to my to my uh, hospital. Well, oh, no, no, have, you, have you not seen the the gratitude is continuing? Have you not seen this fucking like um, the the thank holiday? That what? Is that a uh, thanking holiday. British Airways? No, 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 no. This is um, the call for a new bank holiday, but it's a thank holiday so that we can thank oh, all fuck. the staff. Why does it have to be so fucking kitschy? <laughs> yes. <sighs> oh, well, well, if you do you know the best talk- bit is they're trying to drum it into actual public consciousness this year by rolling it in with a fucking Jubilee bank holiday. <laughs> Well, <laughs> so you're kind of forced to celebrate the thank holiday at the same time. Oh, it's fucking tragic. I hate, it. I hate all of this. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, briefly back to the uh, Captain Tom Foundation. They raised over just under 1.1 million, spent 160k of that money distributed evenly between four charities, but then spent 230k on itself uh, and management <laughs> fees. So they spent much more <laughs> on managing 1.1 million than they did on the charity it was supposed to uh, set out including and this is my these are my favorite bits uh, they spent 54,000 uh, pounds on the following two entities uh, 16,000 quid to club nook limited um, that's <laughs> fucking um, animal crossing isn't it yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is controlled by broke in and stole 16,000 pounds <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, Tom Nook Limited is is controlled by uh, Captain Tom's daughter Helen Ingram Moore, who we talked a lot about on on the podcast episode, um, for accommodation and transport for the captain around the UK when he was promoing this thing, and the other thirty eight k was paid to the Matrix Group. That's the main uh, office run by Helen and David Ingram Moore, who is a family trustee for life uh, of the foundation. See, working for the Matrix group is a lot like waking up from the Matrix. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which included £5,000 for the website of the uh, Captain Tom Foundation. And for those of you so inclined, you can go have a look at the Captain Tom Foundation website and tell me, is this money well spent? Uh, And I would say probably not. Uh, they spent some more money. So in total, they spent 162k on management costs, which is just amazing. Uh, and it got even better because um, Helen Ingram Moore did an interview in like, some kind of financial or charity magazine or something, uh, where she was asked, was like "What was the best?" dot com or something, wasn't it? It was something like that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> where she was asked. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I just I, I love the idea of like you know I run a charity, so I go and talk to money expert, and that's where like things like consultancy fees and stuff will be discussed. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah. Yeah, getting, getting getting huge vibes of like that MP who charged uh, like fifty eight p or whatever to his expenses to get take a taxi like half a mile. <laughs> <laughs> so when asked what was the best year of your financial life, uh, Helen answered, "It was twenty twenty. Um, Excuse me, the financial life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, she basically thing. she basically came out and went like, "Oh yeah, the start of the pandemic, a business was like on the rocks, and we we didn't know what we were going to do for money. And then we had the idea: what if we made my like fucking like hundred year old dad like wander around the garden for money and whip the one pound then, coins at him? And then suddenly, suddenly, like everything was all right again. And it's like weird. You didn't. You sort of. You seem to have skipped a bit there. What? what why did your dad <laughs> doing all this for charity suddenly make you like financially secure? Yeah, seems, seems like an the, odd fucking odd I have thing the quote to leave here. out. I have the quote here, which is just frankly bizarre. Uh, we'd had to cancel his 100th birthday party because of COVID. So my husband suggested that instead of the party, my father should walk around the garden 100 times and we would give him a quid per lap. <laughs> what? What oh, yeah, that's, that's, is? That's the what best part. It was, initially, it wasn't even for charity. It was just like, yeah. wouldn't it be funny to just, just watch this like old guy wander around the garden for money? What possesses a no... Like, Someone of sound mind to put into like a presumably some kind of national publication that this is a normal thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh. What shall we do to entertain Grandad today? I don't know. Let's Torture him. One, one pound coins at his head. <laughs> Let's go Harry Brown on his ass. Yeah. Yeah, I like it's the idea that they were just throwing, throwing the coins like he was a fucking goalie or something. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Treat him like an enormous 2P machine. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there was one more small detail in the uh, in the financial statements that caught my eye. Um, they laid out some ambitions for the coming years. And because we were just talking about the day of thanks... Um, they have another um, the Captain Tom Foundation has a new idea an ambition even um, they want to launch a global fundraising event called Captain Tom Day which will celebrate the wit and wisdom of our wonderful older generation now if you're thinking what in Christ's name would a day like that look like well they Captain Tom Foundation would it, look, would it look like every day on Twitter you know what I mean? Rob. Would it be like one one day of the year where people are legally like legally obliged to listen to all the like hundred year old fucks telling you, yeah, I bought my house for a shilling and sixpence. Why can't you just go without coffee for a week? And Rob, r- riddle oh. me this: Would you consider it wise to perhaps go on an international holiday? In the middle of a pandemic, before having had a vaccine, a vaccination against the virus in said pandemic, because I don't consider that necessarily wise. But it's actually, I mean, it's wet and wisdom. So really, what he was doing there was was something. <laughs> he was, he was doing hard. it ironically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was covered under wet. Yeah, he was he was doing it for a bit. Um, no, <laughs> let me quote talk about dedication to the bit. <laughs> Uh, Let me quote for you from the document. In a children-in-need-style celebration, Britain's invisible army will be championed to showcase their talents and experiences. Right, okay, sorry, sorry. What what is the invisible army? Is this old people? Old people. Oh, I thought it was an actual invisible army. You know what I mean? Like, there's, like, there's, like, 
Do you know what I mean? Foreign countries where just a bunch of like school children are just spontaneously dead from machine gun bullets, and it's like the, the invisible <laughs> army strikes again. <laughs> uh. It's when you do an airstrike with uh, Wonder Woman's jet. That's the invisible air force. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, so this is basically just going to be like a really depressing talent show but with budget yeah, yes yes it'll I be like, like Captain I, Tom I, talent I, show I do oh. like the admission though of like in a children in need style celebration so not addressing the causes only the symptoms <laughs> which is like always uh, something to aspire to I think what well, they I mean, mean when they say character. when they say children in need style event is they get to be on telly yeah. oh my god these people love being on fucking TV don't they yeah they Isn't... live for that shit isn't the grandson on Love Island or something along those lines at the moment? Uh, yeah, some like distant, some like nth some degree show. Like, re- uh, relation. Yeah, is on some fucking reality shit. Oh, we're all on some <laughs> reality shit. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I keep insisting, get me off. Champion windmill. Anyway, speaking of the the sad reality now, of modern, uh, British life, um, uh, the uh, I, I have bring good tidings to you because the government has solved the uh, energy crisis and specifically how you're going to pay for it. So congratulations! That... <laughs> it's not more debt, is it? Uh, it, well, like, would you call it debt? It's not really debt, uh, you know. Uh, oh, but she's in the room with us now. Yeah, I mean, let me literally quote Rishi Sunak. You shouldn't view it as debt. It's 200 quid off your bill, and there's no interest charge on that. <laughs> Don't consider it a debt. Consider it an asset. <laughs> the, 200 quid you've, the 200 quid you've got, you just put that aside and probably make a little bit more money and, and just pay 40 quid back a year over, over a period of five years starting in 2023. So, you know, problem solved, dust. Rob, have you considered yeah. investing the £200 that you've saved? <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell. Isn't it Fine. like... The, NFT. The, way things are, the way things are going, like, the, do you know what I mean? It, they are actually... The, the 200 quid you pay back in, like, five installments or whatever is probably going to be worth a lot less than the 200 quid they give you off your bill this year. Yeah. That, I mean, that so, is probably true. Like, you might actually get some savings out of this purely because of inflation. But So you know. may- maybe, maybe that's why they've decided that, like, you know what I mean? Every household gets this 200 quid off no matter what. And then, like, every every single householder has to pay the 200 quid back I don't think if they I, didn't get it off. I was going to say, not, yeah, I don't think the 200... Not every household gets the 200 quid off. And yeah, no, was, I saw... Um, yeah, and I saw something about, uh, like, if you live in, like, a, you know, an HMO or something like that, um, if you move out, like, how does that work? Like, that immediately, like, you start going, hmm, how is this how, how does that work? Gonna... How does that work? You pay it back. That's how that works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's the long and the short of it, isn't it? Well, I mean, the, what you definitely cannot do is opt out if you don't want this or if you it doesn't apply to you. It's just, it is just going to be put into your account and then taken out over a period of five years, whether or not you want it or not. Um, but there are two, like, specific categories that can get fucked. It's essentially the first one is if you... <laughs> Um, live in a like uh, big apartment block or something and your heat you pay your heating bill to whoever owns the apartment block 
um, you won't get a discount because that apartment block's contract with the energy provider is a commercial contract and not a residential contract, and those are not covered under this agreement. So you are still getting hosed. Um, and the they're other also one exempt is, from the um, they're also exempt from like the price cap, aren't they? Uh, the yes, commercial. they are. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Uh, and the other one is if you're uh, a, a renter, it's incredibly unclear because if you pay your landlord for gas and electricity instead of paying it for paying it yourself, then your landlord may well um, make off with, with the money. And the good news is the Treasury has literally admitted it has no data on how many renters pay for energy in their own name versus how many pay <laughs> so, it through uh, the rent. Excuse me, Mr. Sunak. So uh, these people who are like quite a large proportion of people uh, who are going to be affected by this uh how, how many do you know how many is going to it's actually how much damage it's going to do to their finances it's like fuck if i know <laughs> just like, yeah, actually uh, the, the the problem was the premise of the question because you implied that rentals were people yeah i mean that was my first mistake wasn't it yeah. i mean the thing is though the thing is though if you were chancellor of the exchequer why would you bother to like fucking like do this properly or look into things. That's true. Do you know what I mean? You know, you can just you can just say, "Oh, it's two hundred quid off your bills," and then like people like people go, right? And you go, and then you pay it back in five installments, and people look at it and go, "Well, doesn't this imply?" And it's like, no further questions. Do you know what I mean? Because like you know the you know the press aren't going to fucking check. They aren't going to like show any interest in it whatsoever. Well, he was fucking pulled up by that fuck that pretty fucking Martin Lewis. Fuck that guy. Um, but he pulled him up to his fucking bail credit, I suppose, and like the. The response was, "It's not a loan; it's a it's a, a negative levy, <laughs> followed by five smaller levies." <laughs> like, mm, mm. Whom's the man does not correct, enjoy a negative yeah, okay. levy? <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's just it's fucking bullshit, like, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it's also very time-sensitive, so it's it's very well-timed because you get this 200 quid off in October, but this is uh, after your electricity bills go up by over 50% in April uh, and another Yay. 10% up because of the rise in national insurance. So, like, don't worry about it. Yeah, I mean, like, look, in a couple months later, you'll have 200 quid. So, you know, on the expectation of future wealth, you can go to Ikea in April and buy a new couch. Yeah, no one pay any attention to how much you're already in credit on your account. By the way, like, don't bother looking at that. You're already hundreds of pounds in credit, probably. Yeah. Um, basically, everyone fucking is at the moment because they've been taking way more than they fucking need to. Uh, so yeah, um, two hundred pound extra there. Yeah. You're not going to notice it. They'll and in, in that same interview, um, Martin Lewis did ask uh, Sunak like why they can <clears> make <throat> the energy companies pay for it because like they're. Pe- posting like insane record profits this year um and sunek legitimately said like without crying in laughter that he said it, he would work he was worried that this would deter further investment in more north north sea uh, oil and gas fields because like that's what <laughs> <laughs> oh, i'm so glad we've got a guy who understands the economy of supply and demand in charge of the economy <laughs> yeah, <I'm> not <laughs> me <laughs> Oh, that's fucking fantastic. And that's at the same time where France just told the energy companies, shut the fuck up. Like, even fucking yeah. Macron would fucking do that shit, and we don't even get that much. Well, See, this is, fair, this is, this is what we fucking get for year. refusing to drive a JCB through the fucking mm. Houses of Parliament like the French would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we, we merely drive the JCB through small styrofoam bricks that say Brexit or some shit. Like, yeah. We get a tiny little hammer that says blue wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, I hate this fucking place. I can't wait until it slips into the sea where it belongs. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's an even scarier phantom uh, on the right, uh, on the horizon. That there's is, a spectre haunting Europe. Yes, and it's called <laughs> Dread Inflation. Um, <laughs> let me quote you a little bit from an interview between the governor of the Bank of England, uh, Andrew Bailey, and the BBC's Faisal Islam. Uh, Faisal, are you trying to get into people's heads and ask them not to ask for too high a pay rise? Uh, Governor of, Eng- of the Bank of England? Broadly, yes. Really? Why? We do need to see a moderation in wage rises. That's painful. Now, Because if there's one thing, there's one thing we can take away from the past 40 years of economy, it's that wages have <laughs> risen too fast. Yeah. Yes. You listening at home, you fat cat fuck with your regular pay rises. Fuck you. You made the, you made the line unhappy. Specifically, it's your fault. Frankly, the idea of asking for um, an, an, an annual increase in salary that's higher than the rate of inflation is disgusting to me. And anyone who thinks that they deserve more than, well, I suppose it's 7% now, <laughs> scum of the earth. <laughs> if you were asking, if you were like good and you were doing your bit for Britain, you would ask for a pay cut because that way you too can fight inflation. We're all in this together, or so I'm told. Mm. Oh, I mean, there absolutely will be people that fucking do that, I imagine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's exactly the kind of, like, fucking headbanger shit that the, like, Queen and Country lot live for. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, there'll be there'll be plenty of fucking, like, boomer dipshits who are already well off enough that they can afford to take a pay cut, and they'll do it, and then use that as one more thing to fucking like club the youth with. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like I, yeah. I took a, I took five percent less home from my job in a bank. You know what I mean? Like, like fucking why? Why aren't these people at McDonald's? Why are these people at McDonald's yeah. striking for higher pay? You know what I mean? Yeah, even though I my real money wait. is in my bonuses and my stock options, which are untaxed or very lightly taxed in the first place. But we're not talking about them. Um, this is, of course, like this demand for wage moderation is, of course, coming straight after the Bank of England itself projected that given all the tax rises and the cost of energy and everything, uh, most people will already experience a 2% drop in post-tax income tax income this year. So you asking for more money, even though you genuinely have less, is disgusting. You disgust me, you listeners, just sitting there with your money in your house with your heating on. It's just, I mean, it's just exhausting, really, isn't it? Um, like, the guy who's meant to... Presumably, this guy's meant to know something about the economy. I mean, how much is this guy paid again? It's like half a million quid a year, right? Yeah, something like how that. Much 580, I, how, I think, I want to say. wonder how much his pay is going to go up this year. Mm. <laughs> well, I mean, he doesn't honestly need it. He'll just wait until he's <clears> retired, <throat> and then he just goes to work for BlackRock for, like, an obscene amount of money. I think... George Osborne at some point was getting like two million a month or something from BlackRock, wasn't it? If, if memory serves, um, the system yeah, works. the system works well. Essentially, this is this leads us very nicely into uh, part one of tonight's uh, ma- main story, um, and I don't know why I did this to myself because I thought this, hey, this is interesting to talk about, and then I started really, really in, into it, um, so. I wanted to talk about central banking and sort of part of the reason why the economy is as... (laughs) 
uh, yeah, so if you really like your technical economics and, you know, a dearth of jokes and and essentially just <laughs> I see, need doing I see, endless talking... I see David's, uh, David's managed to get his hand on the notes because the first part in this, uh, in this sec- segment is why are we talking about this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, so essentially I want to talk to this about this for a host of reasons, essentially because central banking is incredibly critical to understanding the modern economy and why it is as stupid as it is, and also why the dividing line between the real economy, you know, with people with real jobs, the stuff we were just talking about, and the continued inflation of the stock rise is as huge as it is, can at least in part only be explained through uh, the stock market and oh, Rob, understand- fin- Rob is finally going to tell us why money is fake yes <laughs> uh, but I, but on the other hand I will not be telling you to instead invest your money in crypto because it's not uh, controlled by the central bank everyone's crypto- investing in podcasts invest in this podcast right now 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 <laughs> invest now this is not investment advice <laughs> yeah, one day one day your Patreon subscription could be worth so much more. <laughs> yes, we may, we may do more content. <laughs> yeah, essentially, you you cannot you cannot really understand the modern economy or the modern stock market without seeing what's happened in. First, suffering banking. a huge head injury, and also suffering a huge mm-hmm. head injury. Um, and also, if you want to like become one of the squid conspiracy people who end up yelling at Keir Starmer about Jimmy Savile, uh, who think that there's a few people actually in control of the world, you would probably not be that far off the mark by saying it's the heads of the central banks of the Western world and China. Like you're not far off the the, the money uh, on that. Steady one. on cue. <laughs> uh, in particular, there's a meeting of a group of eight people inside the U.S. Federal Reserve called. You, should, the Federal... you need to call it a shadowy cabal, Rob. Sorry, please. Yeah. Can you get Can you get the uh, language right? Thank you. Yeah, let me let me try that again. In particular, a shadow cabal of a of eight people inside the U.S. Federal uh, Reserve called the Federal Open Market Committee or the Doomsday Committee might well, in abstract, <laughs> be the eight people who rule the world, or at least steer it forward. Um, and this um, this shadowy cabal is like a, a complete mystery, and no one knows who any of these people are, right? Oh no, you can just go on the website. And no, find exactly, them. yeah, 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 because <laughs> it's not a massive conspiracy, and it's actually just the way the shit works. Yes, exactly. Uh, so to I me, know, see, they is... put they they put it out in like plain view, so that you like you won't think it's a conspiracy, but it totally is. It's totally the Illuminati. They just tell you up front like everything that they're going to do, so that when you tell people, "Hey, the Illuminati are doing this shit," everyone laughs at you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's why it's a shadow cabal. You're distracted by the shadow cabal. Well, the Illuminati is illuminating everything behind you so that you can see the shadow cabal. <laughs> ah, it's Plato's cave, but for morons. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, like, to me, this is what the, the stuff that the central banks have been doing since. Well, we're going to get into the whole history of the thing, but since a long time is essentially one of the mechanisms that's ruled modern finance which has gotten like somewhat more crazy since 1987 even more crazy since 2008 and oh, since what, corona what, what what um what events were happening in the late 90s uh, late 80s that uh, could precipitate something like this <laughs> uh well no, would a, a certain uh, would a certain ussr have anything to do with this um, no, not necessarily. This was uh, mainly to do with uh, a certain banking crisis in the US. But promise, I promise you, 
when the story starts chronologically, we will start in 1987. So get <laughs> sit down and you know ha- have some have fun with this. Um, so a couple yeah, of caveats. If you open your textbooks to page 104. <laughs> uh, or open your coloring books uh, get, get your crayons out <laughs> um, that's more my speed yeah so a couple of caveats some of this will be a bit techy I, I apologize beforehand so I'm, I've done my best not to get too lost in the weeds number two I'm very much like not an economist so I'm liable to get some shit wrong and everything and anything I say will does, have like it doesn't stop economists wrong let's be honest no <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, everything I say has like a zillion asterisks, and none of it is as simple as I will make Does it, it have, out to is be. Is it any? Is it any brackets around it, though, Rob? That's the real question. <laughs> 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 Fucking hell! <laughs> oh, deal. But if you want to read and like get into this stuff yourself, because you have a brain injury, or you want to meet like me, which is also the same <laughs> as having a brain injury, um, you can read Adam Tooze's Magnificent Crashed and Shutdown, the second which I read over the Christmas break, uh, Christopher Leonard's Lords of Easy Money, and pretty much everything in the Financial Times. So, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, have fun with that if you really want to. Um, <laughs> yeah, the only, the, only, the only practice cast endorsed fucking newspaper is the Times. <laughs> The Financial Times. Financial yes. Times, sorry. The Financial Times, not the Times. <laughs> not the Times. Ooh, not the Times. <laughs> On the other hand, the, the Times has to know what makes Rob tick and why he's the way that he is. This, this is why. <laughs> So, first off, uh, a very basic priming on, primer on what central banking is and how it works. Essentially, I'll be talking a lot more about the US Federal Reserve than I will be about the UK Central Bank in particular or the EU Central Bank. They're very different institutions, but in their basic functionality, they're the same. Um, and uh, in terms of why I'm talking more about the US Federal Reserve is because the US Federal Reserve prints the dollar and the dollar is the thing that rules the world uh, together with the treasuries and uh, the bonds that are issued by the US government. Um, So central banks, first off, are the only institution in the world that can legitimately uh, create money out of thin air, uh, which is uh, that's the main thing they do. Uh, banks can also do it on a smaller scale, uh, but there has to be balance on the balance sheet against something. They can create new money to give you a mortgage, but the other side of that is that you have to repay the mortgage. So there's a, a backing in fractal terms, but there is a backing behind it. Uh, it's also this- re- like it's also disappointing though that the, the Federal Reserve resolutely refuses to print money for good things. Well, I mean that's it's an always- interesting. It's an interesting question because, like, the f- it, while these institutions are incredibly powerful, uh, they are very limited in, t- in terms of what they can actually do in practice, uh, or at least what they've done so far, although that's gotten progressively crazier over the years, what they've allowed themselves to do. It's hard for, like, the way these things are set up, it's very hard for them to, like, pick specific ideas or say, we're going to invest in climate change because of the way they're structured because the way they run the world is through monetary policy instead of fiscal policy. Fiscal policy is tax itself. That's what the government does. Um, Fiscal policy is what the central government does, which is essentially they try to, um, depending on the mandate they have, but most central banks have a double mandate of high employment um, and keeping inflation down. And they do this typically by fiddling with the rate of interest that they give. Uh, When the... 
very broadly speaking, when interest rates go down, borrowing becomes a lot cheaper. So consumers and businesses go out with that borrowed money and do things. Uh, they you know, buy a couch or, or start a new business, which theoretically makes the economy bigger, which makes more activity happen, which creates economic booms and prosperity. Uh, when rates go up, uh, Borrowing becomes more expensive, saving becomes more attractive, so more money pulls out of the active economy and, and into savings accounts, and that causes uh, business. There's lack less loaning about because it's more expensive to borrow money, um, and therefore the economy contracts a little bit. That's like the very broad basics. Again, doesn't this doesn't this also sort of eschew the fact that uh, large swathes of uh, economies are hoarded like you know like a dragon would? by certain yes. institutions and certain uh, certain individuals. Yeah, but essentially, like, I mean, there, there is still a, a certain correlation between these activities when, like, as we'll talk about, when the rates got really, 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 really low, like zero low uh, post-2008, like, not as much of extra economic activity was created, but some was created. And this is essentially how all the models work. When the central banks set interest rates, and they do this every couple of be- a couple of weeks, um, the the Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, the Chinese Central Bank, and the UAK Central Bank, these are like some of the most important and like critical updates um, in the world because this is when the high priests or the shadowy cabal, if you will, uh, of of money think the economy is going and therefore it needs to be done. And every time these rate changes are announced. <laughs> And they fucking uh, like, August and doves to figure it out, right? Yes, pretty pretty close. Like in the run up to like because they're every couple of weeks, in the run up to like the next announcement, there's like huge amounts of money and speculation being being poured over um what the next rate is gonna be. Like they're wagering billions upon billions upon billions on the movement of the federal uh, in uh, federal bank was interest rate, the UK central bank interest rate. All of this is like there's insane amounts of money being bet on this because it is so crucial to the functioning of any modern economy. It is in also in some countries, but not in others. It the central bank is also the banking regulator uh, that looks at banks and says you're actually a going concern and fine, or you're not. Um, and you know they sometimes get that spectacularly wrong, as in the case of the 2008 great financial crisis, the euro crisis, savings and loan crisis, and a whole bunch of others, because it's very difficult to determine um, what is actually valuable capital that can be traded in a crisis and what is a total piece of shit, as happens over and over and over and over and over again. Um, And finally, and especially critically in the whole story that I want to start telling in a moment. Uh, it is also known as the lender of last resort, which means that when the commercial banking sector, when like the m- normal finance sector completely shits to bed, uh, the central bank is there to pick up the pieces. And it is presumed to always be trustworthy and always be manageable because it, the central bank itself is backed up by the existence of the nation state. Um, the reason that everybody trusts the dollar and trusts um, the uh, federal, the ten-year treasury notes, is because they are backed up literally by the what's called the full faith and credit of the United States. Which means, <laughs> uh, okay, mm. <laughs> it's just lies built on lies built on lies, and we all just need to keep believing that they're true, so yeah. that they continue to exist. It's like it's like the concept of a god and like the Pratchett 
this world universe like when you stop believing in them they just cease to exist yes i mean all of this the whole thing is 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 top to bottom based on trust we trust that these institutions mm. central now, banks will be there in the future and today to save us from our own stupidity uh, you know it, it, it once you like once you stop clapping for it the fairy does indeed <laughs> die uh, you know it, that feels like something of a weak point <laughs> It, it is a, a fundamental weak point, and it's also one of the reasons why you get why you get what we get. Um, and this is actually a good point to start talking about. Um, so, yeah. as David mentioned, this well, is like... Revolutions, revolutions are all well and good, but has anyone ever considered just doom-pilling economists and bankers? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that could work. I mean, you do see it sometimes in like... Um, in countries in South America, for example, where um, the elite has no faith in the central bank or in the current lo the local currency, and that's why they all transport all their money into dollars or euros because they do you believe them to CIA. be stable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean Argentina is a, is, a, is a great case uh, if you, if you're looking for that kind of thing, but that's a whole sidetrack that I really can't get into. Um, so anyway, as David said, this is like a part one of two, because when I started writing the notes for this, I realized that I'd bitten off like vastly more than I can chew. Um, so what I'm going to do from now until we get to comment a commentary is give you a very brief, very, very brief and probably uh, pothole filled history uh, between 1987 and roughly uh, 2013. Uh, I I apologize, but this is I promise you it is interesting and assume, it is crucial to understanding I the modern assume, world. I only assume that good things happened between those between those dates. Only good things happened, and it's not like everything got progressively more insane. Um, so I want to start in 1987 because because of a specific policy change inside the US Federal Reserve, which is known as the Greenspan put. Um, this is an incredibly important thing. Uh, it, it was sounds dangerously close to a putsch. Uh. <laughs> a put is a certain term of uh, an instrument you can buy in the financial marketplace for trading purposes. But essentially what happens is uh, it's instituted as a sort of policy design after uh, the 1987 um, Black Monday crash on Wall Street, which is very convoluted and won't get into why it happened. Just let me assure you there was a gigantic crash in Wall, Wall Street after too much fun was had in the economy. <laughs> capitalism um, doing that thing again. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, capitalism having an escalating series of crises. I think somebody wrote a thing about that at some point. Um, yeah, I've heard. I've heard. <laughs> yeah. Um, so essentially what happens is... Um, in a response to a series of interlocking failures in the economy and in the banking system, um, Alan Greenspan turns on the money hose, uh, is the best way of, of putting it. So what he does is he says, okay, there's all these banks in trouble and what they're not doing anymore is they're not loaning out money anymore because they're, they're all in trouble. So what he does is um, turn on the money hose and through the mechanisms of the central bank, like just shoves money out the door. Um, at this time, it's, on, it's only 17 billion, but at the, si at the time, that represented about 7% of all dollars in circulation. So over, pretty much overnight, the uh, Federal Reserve added an extra 7% of all the dollars in existence to the uh, banking system. And essentially printer that helped... Printer goes brrr. Yeah, printer goes brrr on, 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 a, on a scale 
on a scale probably i don't know i don't have all the numbers but that probably hasn't been repeated until 2008 uh, when we pump even more money into the economy and the idea is money is scared there's no confidence what if we just flood more money into the system and then uh, everything will be fine of course of course the problem is uh, the the biggest lesson that the financial s- sector learned and certainly the more speculative elements within it is that when the crisis becomes big enough and starts to threaten um, the commanding heights of the economy or things become too big to fail uh, central banks will be there to bail the system out and provide financial backstops uh, yeah, is, that, I mean, is this is this what they call learned helplessness? <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is essentially uh, is a term you may have heard of before if you followed the any news since basically since two thousand eight. Uh, what is known as moral hazard, which is a, a financial term, but essentially what it means is uh, moral hazard is a, is is what happens when you take the fear of failure or the risk of failure out of parts of the system because if you always know that the federal reserve or the bank of england will be there to like bail you out of trouble because you're so important why not put all your money into nfts or you know do stupid shit or invest in the american housing market or invest in pets.com because you know conveniently anyone that's yeah, conveniently, anyone that's ever actually like dabbled in anything to do with a moral hazard will be charged with the same thing at the show trials. <laughs> the main problem is, and this is like a central, either a bug or a feature, depends on how, how you view these things. Um, the way that this money is created, especially in, in the US, uh, and I can't remember how it works in the UK at the moment, but it I think it's similar, is like, the central bank doesn't take, create money and puts it into your account, like your personal account. Um, not like Rishi I mean, Sunak's. that was never that was never going to happen, was it? Yeah, I mean, not like the Rishi Sunak is, you know, putting two hundred quid into your account. Um, but it's uh, they put it in the in the hands of banks and trading firms, and they depend on them to sort of spread it out further throughout the economy. <laughs> hey, you boy, you're good with money. It's seventeen billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the U.S. in particular, there's 24 firms uh, which are known as primary dealers or primary brokers, and they are the only people who can. <laughs> let me just uh, let me just contact my primary dealer to get some uh, <laughs> some assets from. Um, but they are the only people who have like access to the Federal Reserve's magic money uh, power creation. And they are then oh, the people who are oh, supposed Rob, you to... missed the perfect opportunity to call it a magic money tree. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, but... I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the problem is, all these things, they only deal in assets, stocks, bonds, mortgages, all that stuff. And therefore, it can only flow money into stocks, bonds, mortgages, and all assets that already exist. But the, but the problem is, the people who have assets are rich people. An asset is your house. If you don't have a house, you don't have an asset. An asset is the stock market. If you're not in the stock market, the federal the Federal Reserve like cannot directly connect with you and put more money into your lap because you are then dependent on the people who do have assets to like create new businesses um, and or you know pay you more, for example. I mean, but what they yeah, tend to can. do essentially it, is it, it, not that. Yeah, it absolutely could because it's very easy for you know the central bank that's endorsed by the government of the nation to like link directly in with 
the government of the nation that it's essentially linked to and just fucking give everyone some money. Like, they have your tax information. They can easily fucking distribute checks to everyone. They just won't. Like, I they mean, could. They have. Yeah. Although, they yeah, they did in the US. <laughs> like, that's been done. But they just will not do that shit. Like, I mean, I, just, I do. I do you? think. I do th- on the sort of on that point is. I do think it is interesting that when you view this sort of uh, a bit more holistically, in the sense of like you, you know, bring the actual politics into it. This is part of why, like, a leftist can never be given the wheels of or, like the levers of power because they could just con- in, like conceivably they could just turn on the money hose and point it towards all the poor people. And yeah. God forbid that should fucking happen. Well, we'll destroy capitalism by doing so, apparently. Well, I mean, spe- specifically... Correct, in, correct in, me in, if I'm wrong, Rob. Just correct me if I'm wrong on this, but if you were to just um, turn on the money hose at, at people generally, the money would still be frightened because the money didn't get their money. That's the only reason the money would still be frightened. Yeah. In, in a way, but like Alistair, to answer your point specifically, this is part of the reason why um, uh, Tony Blair and Gordon Brown made the Central Bank of England, uh, the Bank of England, independent of the government. Because essentially, you're right. It, it, in the not so long ago, like governments could and did do this kind of stuff. Like the, the, the Central Bank wasn't super important. They only became incredibly important f- for two reasons. First, they all, were all made independent, you know, technically independent, but not really independent. And that gave capital and people with assets the confidence that exactly the government wouldn't put money in your pocket because that would be bad because that might create inflation and that might erode the value uh, of the assets they hold today. So Smaug was- in the Times saying that uh, they cannot turn the money hose on the poor. Uh, yeah, pretty much uh, exactly. Um, there was another piece in the Telegraph as well about like why uh, we shouldn't be doing uh, zero emissions by 2050 because it might make the money scared and it might cause inflation. So you know, it's it's that kind of stuff. So partially, so what happens is essentially because the central banks are incredibly powerful but only have these limited tools and can only work through banks and assets this is part of and I think very fundamental to the reason why you have this incredible gap um, between uh, uh, rich people and poor people because rich people have been living on an asset bubble for the last 40 years because every time uh, there was a crisis in the US economy or in the global economy um, central banks have just been pumping more and more money into the system like this Greenspan put was just repeated over and over again it happened specifically during the US savings and loan banking crisis in 1988 well you know when when you've got a good idea you want to you know you want to make sure it gets out there you want to yeah, keep so, keep, keep <laughs> hammering that dead horse until it's uh, no more money spurting out. I mean, sp- specifically, they they did it the first time during the U.S. savings and loan banking crisis of nineteen eighty seven. They did it again uh, during the first Gulf of War when the money got scared again. So that was eighty. That was ninety one or ninety two. I want to say um, they did it again in the American Mexican American peso crisis in ninety four. The Asian financial crisis in ninety seven. The fall of long term capital management, which is an episode in and of itself, in nineteen ninety eight. They did it again in the dot com crisis in two thousand and in two thousand and it was would happen again on a much much grander and much more interesting scale in 2008 so essentially what happens every time is the financial system shits the bed and the central banks of the western world 
run up to them full of wheelbarrows of cash and say, oh, are you feeling bad? <laughs> yeah, they run up to them with the wheel, wheelbarrow full of cash. And ignore those contradictions. Those contradictions don't exist anymore. Just focus on the money. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't you just like to feel quantitatively eased? Yes, exactly. Well, quantitative easing is well what we're going to get into very quickly because that is incredibly important to understanding the modern economy. Um, so... Now we're up to 2008, uh, the great financial crisis, and it's very important that essentially between 1980 and certainly up to 2008, most Western countries, since the, we all became good neoliberals, most governments actively don't think they have any role to play in the economy and that it would actually be bad for them if they tried to do it. Uh, this is part of Milton Friedman's thinking, saying essentially the economy is a machine so incredibly complex that if you, the government, interfere, you never know what you're doing and the outcome is much more likely to be bad than it is good. Therefore, the government should never intervene because you would put a perfectly tuned machine that is just about distributing resources. You would... I mean, uh, economists... Economists just wish they had like proper jobs, don't they? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like literally just flouncing about the place in a wizard hat and a robe, going, "Oh, the money, the money feels bad today." <laughs> Pondering orbs in towers and all that sort of bollocks, but they they crack on as if it's like as if they're running a fucking nuclear reactor. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, we can't have any idiot pulling, pushing buttons on the control panel. There could be a meltdown. Do you know what I mean? It's like, as, if they, as if they know anything. This, and also, despite the frequent appearance of meltdowns, we keep saying to them, hmm, you must know things. You can build very complex Hey, we've got to get this guy in. He's an expert in meltdowns. Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Those meltdowns, are just they just happen sometimes, and it's, it's lucky they're there to make sure they weren't any worse. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, unironically, Ben Bernanke uh, was himself and is an expert on uh, the Great Depression of 1929. So he had the wizard robe and hat of meltdowns when the meltdown <laughs> happened. Uh, the, the economy's going to shit, so I put on my robe and wizard hat. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, uh, back to the. Uh, so, this is incredibly important, right? Because, as I said before, the central banks are incredibly important, but they can't do everything. And the things they can't do, for the most part, is like redistributive things, because that's fiscal policy. And we've essentially, as Western nations, given up on fiscal policy. Like, when's the last time rich people were taxed more so we could pay for, you know, things, common assets that belong to everybody or stuff like that? Like, that shit's completely out of the question. Witness the insane sort of level of debates we, we get when, um, I think it was Ed Miliband still said, yeah, we should put the uh, highest tax rate back up, the highest band to 50p, and everybody shit the fucking bed. It's essentially because... Most people and economics commentators in, in, on the whole and certainly like the financial institutions have said, no, you can't do fiscal policy because that's always bad, bad because then the money gets scared. Um, Change so, can never be positive. It can only be bad. Yes. <laughs> so while the direct cause in 2008 of the, the great financial crisis uh, is the US housing market and all the shenanigans, collateralized debt obligations, uh, synthetic obligations, all that stuff, that's not the point of this podcast. You should, I hope you know a bit about this by now. But it's essentially part of a much larger canvas of uh, a, a world increasingly where people because they don't have increasing incomes are much more reliant on debt and credit cards 
um, weak trade unions. There's a shift of manufacturing from Western countries to Asia and China in particular. Uh, an aging boomer population with medical bills and and you know squatting like vampires on the housing market, all that stuff. So there's a huge sort of all these things come together to create a gigantic uh, global uh, crisis. So <laughs> really took the whole team working together to fuck this one up. That's it, it. Genuinely, it really did. Um, I mean, so, the root, the root of the root of that, and every other financial crisis is that money isn't real. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> just letting a bunch of fucking sorcerers pretend like they they directly and they know actual magic, and they don't because it isn't real. You could just take all the stuff we've got, and we could just like share it out, and everyone could have a house and some food. But we just don't do that because, like, you know, Star Trek's for communists or some shit. You know what I mean? It's, it's science fiction to imagine that we have enough resources on planet Earth to, to house and feed everyone and not need to, like, fucking, like, twat around just so Alan Sugar can have, like, fucking a, a TV show and own half of London. <laughs> yeah, pr- pretty like, much. We, mu- we, yeah. Must, we must immiserate the fucking very poorest among us because otherwise, like, a line wouldn't go up on a fucking fictional chart somewhere. Like, fucking, oh, like, GDP. What about the GDP? It's like, what about it? You just made that up. It's not a real thing. It stops existing as soon as nobody's looking at it. <laughs> it's not much. like it's not yeah. like a fucking it's not like a shed somewhere where you can you can go like every day you can walk up a hill and look at it and go, oh, that's still there. It's just it's just made up. You might as well yeah. you might as well worry about like Game of Thrones or some shit. It's just as real as the economy. You know what I mean? <laughs> fucking... We all live inside Eve Online, except we don't even get to fucking look at the spaceships. Yeah. <laughs> Basically that. EVE Online is just as real as the real economy, except they yeah. get spaceships to look at. Yeah, and I mean, I, and also more, even more financial shenanigans. I, I, if I, I don't really care about EVE Online, but if I read something about it, it always involves people stealing more money than God, which always strikes me as quite funny. Um, anyway, so the the most critical thing that happens in like the crunch days of the uh, 2008 financial crisis when it like. We were very, very close to having like a 1929 style event where things like would have completely shit the bed and like money would have stopped co- coming out of uh, um, the the ATM machines, out, out of the cash dispensers. Like it was at some points, it was that hairy. Um, and the most critical thing that happened, because this is all magic and pixie dust, is uh, was a loss loss of trust because banks were very were and are very dependent on borrowing money from each other on very short like overnight terms to keep their balance their books in balance and everything and they started yeah, becoming- this podcast what the same way <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they started becoming very afraid that if they loaned money to northern rock or lehman brothers or goldman sachs or other institutions that they wouldn't get their money back because christ knows if the next bank falls over tomorrow all that money you've lent to them even on like a 24 or 48 hour cycle might go up in smoke uh, or, or get locked up in a million lawsuits so what happens is there's two things that happen the first thing happens in the midst of this and without democratic discussion or oversight the fed in particular but also um the uk central bank uh, uh the less so the european central bank because it was very stupid at the time uh and 
lots of other things. Um, what happens is the Fed creates a whole bunch of different facilities, um, new ones. They were called Maiden Lane and others, and their purpose was to inject money straight into the banks. And the, the way they did this, and this is something they'd never really done before, is they said to all these banks that were about to queue over because they had so many shitty mortgage debt and shitty assets on their books, they said to them, show us the heaping pile of stinking garbage that you have assembled on your books and we'll take it and we'll funnel it directly into my mouth yum 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 yes exactly and then smiling with a mouth full of uh you know full of dog shit they said would you like crisp (laughs) do you like funneling hot dog shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah the fed does walk the same way (laughs) yeah and they would they should change the fed strap line to that (laughs) (laughs) um so and they would swap them for like either straight uh us dollars or other very easily tradable instruments and the idea was and it did work to some degree depending on how you define it did work um the idea was okay can i I define can i define did work as kept this whole stack of bullshit like plates spinning for just another like while longer until they thought of something else yes pretty much (laughs) <laughs> cool. did you possibly guess that <laughs> <clears throat> so according to uh, one of the books I cited before uh, Lords of Easy Money the US Federal Reserve alone uh, creates 1.2 trillion US dollars out of nowhere and dumps them into the economy via these 24 prime, bro- prime broker institutions um, this is as opposed to uh, all the other money they ever created in the previous century and, uh, you know, doled out either during regular times or during crisis, uh, which was about inflation corrected to $850 billion. So, like, in a couple of years, they created 50% more money than ever existed in the century before. And so was- everyone was 50% richer, right? Yes, weren't weren't you made fifty percent richer? Didn't you feel that much more, uh, you know, valuable in 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 the years after? I mean, I mean, well, I know see, I my, certainly did. Since starting this podcast, my memory doesn't go back further than like three days, so I assume yeah. that it did. <laughs> I asked um, for the defense mechanism. <laughs> but I mean, the idea of uh, uh, so by comparison, anyway, uh, the Obama stimulus, if if you remember back to that time, which was incredibly discussed and and you know perceived negatively by the republicans because it was state intervention all that horseshit was like a big topic in the papers but what the federal reserve alone did uh was 50 percent bigger than that but literally well not literally but outside the financial times and like a handful of other nerds nobody talked about this and there was no democratic there was no democratic decision ever made to say, A, should we be saving the banks? And B, how should we be saving them? And C, once we save them, what do we do with them? Because the Federal Reserve and, and the Bank of England, uh, in, in because they've also assembled about 900 billion worth of money on their books in the in the last 20 odd years. I mean, Was this ever it's, up it's... for democratic debate or control? No. I mean, it's it's just like going up to a guy who's like, you know, has uh, a guy's trying to sell you NFTs and you just say to this guy, oh, how much are these NFTs worth? And he's like, oh, well, uh, $100 million each. And uh, if you don't buy them, then I'm going to have to burn the rainforest down even more. 
And yeah. it's like, oh, well, this guy sounds like he knows what he's talking about. I'd best give him $100 million. Well, and I mean, just... yeah. <laughs> the analogy is more like this guy is too important to other wizards that we can't just yeah. shoot him in the head. Um, <laughs> so, and... it just, it's just so fucking frustrating when it's, I mean, like Jamie says, it's keeping the machine chugging along and until the next fucking crisis and at no point at no point does anyone consider whether or not it's a, the right thing to do and just completely absolving any sort of responsibility of the those who uh, actually start this whole fucking thing and just no, well on the one hand you've got like the the endless and like fucking unceasing crises of capitalism and like you know what i mean the economy just piling up throughout history. But on the other hand, you've got Venezuela, lol, trillions dead. Do you know what I mean? So it's impossible <laughs> to say which system works better. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, at this time, there's one other very, very important thing that happens, which had never happened before, if I remember it correctly, uh, in the history of the modern central bank, is they go to what is known as the zero bound, which is... Uh, the zero percent interest rate. Um, this meant that essentially uh, banks could go to the central bank and borrow money for free because they didn't have to pay any interest on it. And that means uh, the 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 idea that the Federal Reserve had is if we give banks more free money, they won't be so worried about the quality of stuff they're loaning it out to. Therefore, they'll you know, uh, 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 Goldman Sachs or Barclays will be able to give you a loan to start your widget business and that will restart the famously, economy. Yeah, famously, this was not anything to do with the cause of the problem in the first place. Uh, no, absolutely not. It, it already wasn't. I mean, the problem was because of the Greenspan put, you know, where they were already shoveling money into the financial system every time there was a crisis. One of the things that Greenspan also did was lower the interest rate. So the interest rate was already much, much lower than it had been. and But now it really comes close to uh, zero. And the thing is, it has stayed at or near zero, depending, or even went negative in some cases, Um for nearly a decade so roughly between 2010 and now uh the interest rate t for banks to borrow borrow money from the central bank has been pretty much zero um and not only has it been zero a lot of central banks said out loud to the finance community that they would keep it there for a good long while uh this is known as forward guidance i.e they were tipping their hands and saying look you see this gigantic pile of infinite free money that we can create. It's going to be around for a really long time. So you guys can just fill your fucking boots. And then we rely on you gigantic financial institutions to trickle this money down towards the real economy. So real human beings <laughs> can get a better job. And that is, of course, what happened. Yep. Yep, definitely. Uh, I want to go a little bit further uh, because I want to talk a little bit about uh, quantitative easing because this is one of these concepts that's been floating around for years and I do think that's incredibly important to understand what it is uh, that mechanism is particular and also place it in its sort of temporal context. Is it, it is it free money for dipshits? 
Yes, but in specific and interesting ways. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, obviously, obviously they have to be rich dipshits. Do you know what I mean? Yes, <laughs> not, no one's turning up at my house to quantitatively ease me. <laughs> um, so it's no coincidence that this new mechanism dreamed up by um, the Federal Reserve at first, but then taken over by the Bank of England, um, the European Central Bank and other institutions in about 2010, because this is, if you remember, in 2010 is when the Tea Party Republicans take back the House of Congress in the United States and David Cameron and George Osborne arrive in number 10. And that essentially kills off stone dead the idea of uh, government fiscal intervention or active government policy stimulus to kickstart the economy. So the central banks at this point knew that they were the only game left in town, the only serious game left in town that could keep the whole show on the road. Whether or not the show was good or not is really not under discussion. The show <laughs> just must God, go the on. show must go on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the problem is, um, even though we're two years after the financial crisis in the US, but we're still in the middle of the European, uh, uh, the Euro crisis, and Western economies overall are incredibly slow and sluggish, and then not recovering in the way that the models had predicted, which is weird. Because... <laughs> yeah, flashback, flashback to that fucking um, central bank uh, growth predictions for like the last fifteen years. Exactly, it's exactly that. So demand is not picking up as people are, uh, as people had projected. People are still losing their jobs. Banks still aren't lending to small and medium businesses, and the stock market worryingly is also starting to to slide. And this is already, despite you must remember that the interest rate is already pretty much at zero uh, or even slightly negative, and therefore banks have no financial incentive uh, to save. So what the banks should have been doing was putting money out into the real economy uh, because it was free. But what instead was they were doing was building a giant casino about which a little bit more later. Uh, so what happens in 2010, there's a series of meetings inside the Federal Reserve where the process of quantitative easing uh, with some minor pushback is adopted. It's reasonably... Um, uh, simple, essentially. It's about injecting huge amounts of shiny, fresh, new digital money uh, through the 24 primary dealers. And, you know, I've talked about them before. They're the biggest banks in the world. Um, Goldman Sachs is one. Citigroup is one. Uh, it's all the, the 24 biggest, most reliable institutions in the US <laughs> are these things. Reliable, trustworthy institutions. Every yeah. single one. Yes, uh, they they also strongly correlate to too big to fail, but that's there's absolutely no relation, uh, direct relation between those two, of course. Um, one of them definitely is Goldman Sachs. I'll just take them as the example. Um, so what happens is the Federal Reserve rings up uh, the Goldman Sachs guy and says, "I want to buy ten billion um, of U.S. Treasuries, which are in your account. Um, I want to buy them, and I'll just give you straight cash for them." So Goldman Sachs says, yeah, sure, why not? And what happens is the Fed credits the Goldman Sachs account that they have with them for 10 billion fresh dollars, and the US uh, treasuries are moved into the book of um, the Federal Reserve. So this creates for Goldman Sachs 10 billion of fresh new money that they can now uh, go out and loan out and or buy other assets with like stocks and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, and thereby stimulating the economy. 
So this is sort of, it's essentially just a straight swap. The central banks start approaching major financial institutions and saying, do you have any reasonably solid good stuff on your book? And then you have to think specifically of um, UK gilts, so state bonds, 10 years is the most common one. Uh, US treasuries, uh, uh, um, bonds issued by the German government, all that stuff. And we'll just take it off your hand, park it on a balance sheet, and here's a lot of fresh, lovely new money that you can go out and do stuff in the real economy with. Um, so the initial buy of this was 600 billion uh, US dollars. Again, this was never discussed uh, democratically, and nobody said, hey, with 600 billion US dollar at the time, we could probably pretty much resolve climate change as is. No, it was just funneled into the, the finance system because this is the only way that central banks well, know I mean, how to do the, their thing. Yeah, I mean, it's because, I mean, the political establishment is a, is a self-perpetuating of capital as the financial system, right? They're, like, so closely interlinked, and it's, like, you know, so closely interlinked, even though these central banks are meant to be independent, whatever the fuck that means. Like, they're all just going to... Like, and like this is sort of where the to me at least the like the shadowy cabal is like uh, is a fuck is a bit of a fucking meme because like it's not necessarily these individuals saying we are going to perpetuate the institutions like financial institutions and like capital C capital. It's just this is what happens when you have a system that wants to keep itself alive and. There's no way that any regular person can do anything to stop it. And anyone who does try to do something to change his system is met with just overwhelming force in order to stop them from affecting yeah. the the machine perpetuating itself. Yeah, are you, because are then, you trying then to then insinuate you're, that you're these are structural issues? Uh, that might have come up at some point. Even at the time, inside the Federal Reserve, they have their own research and say that this initial buy of 600 billion US dollars would probably only cut employment by 0.03%. Uh, now, in the context of the US, <laughs> that's 750,000 jobs. So, like, that's... that's not... I mean, it's not nothing, but, dude, come on. 600 billion, you've got to be chucking. <laughs> yeah, so the, the going rate, if you do very quick and dirty math, is about 8,000 US dollars per job created. However, you could, of course, say that had... You know, we not done this shenanigans of taking, making fake money, giving it to a bank to do more asset shit with instead of. If I if I, if I was money right now, I'd be getting the heebie-jeebies because you're saying don't give the banks the money, and that's just not right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, you know, like, it, 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 by stark contrast, uh, what happened uh, after the Great Depression under Roosevelt, for example, is they just made government programs to do actual things, and that put money directly into Whoa. the hands of the people who worked for them. But we're not allowed to do that anymore. We have to do it through the magic black box machine, because that's the only way we know how to yeah, make the system work. I mean, this work. is... I mean that's the that's the massive fucking distinction between uh, dealing with a huge financial crisis uh, that is actually a material like materially affects the country and the like the financial machine because in uh, you know Roosevelt's fucking programs are what built the fucking like Hoover Dam for example infrastructure these things that pay for themselves so many like hundreds thousands of times over because of the sheer utility of building a railway 
building a road, things of that nature. Whereas you just throw money into a into a fucking Smaug's, you know, hoard. It's it's just, I mean, literally throwing good money after well, bad money after bad money. I guess. And well, it's, it's 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 not just like Smaug's hoard. It's more like what if there were four Smaugs and they were just throwing money between each other and making it do more every time they threw it. It's that just a bigger be... pool for Scrooge McDuck to piss himself in. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, and there's, however, there's one like additional critical piece to this business of quantitative easing, which is essentially, again, like I said, it's just central banks going up to very big financial institutions and playing swappity-do, saying, you give me some of the assets on your books and I will just give you fresh money that you can go out and, and spend and buy yourself something nice uh, like stocks. Um, the, the thing they start buying is long-term stable state debt, uh, gilts, UK gilts, German bonds, US treasuries. But the problem is um, these are essentially saving instruments for banks and pension funds and others because they are so perceived to be so safe, right? You can buy US treasuries 10 years, no problem, because you trust and assume that in 10 years, the United States will still be there. In, you buy and trade uh, UK gilts on the assumption that in 10 years, the UK government will still be around to honor its debts. Germany is the same. It's all the same. Like That's why these things are... The pool of them, there's an incredible amount of them, and they're very liquid because everybody trades them and everybody wants to, to have them. And they're, so they're incredibly safe to have. So what happens with this process of quantitative easing is two things. Not only do they push fresh money into the money supply, but they also take a lot of the safest stuff that is out there in the world out of the market because they vanish onto the central bank book and they hold they enter the hoard. They yeah. enter the hoard, the hoard of the central bank. And what happens, therefore, is that pension fan funds banks like people with a load of money that want to make want to or in case like pension funds need to make real returns to give to their shareholders mm -hmm. and, and pensioners all that stuff they are therefore much more forced to instead of just sitting on their own hoard of treasuries or gilts they have to go out and find quote unquote real economy projects to invest in so the idea is and and those are always a little bit more like those are always more risky. A bet on I don't know IBM or or Microsoft is very good, but it's not as good as betting that the United States will still exist in trend in ten years. If you mm, get my inshallah, name. yeah, yeah. I mean, now it's all getting a bit funky, but you know, uh, that's at least the the theory of it. So what happens is all these big financial institutions flush with fresh money and also bereft of very safe assets start looking further out into slightly riskier uh assets to put <laughs> taking, their money taking my uh, huge boards of money wrapped up in rubber bands and wearing my like skimpiest outfit as i waltz down the street and just like look at things to throw like big bins to throw the money into yeah but and this is incredibly uh, uh important to me is the qualifier is is in all of this is this kind of stuff really only works if banks aren't loaning out money already to consumers or not investing in useful things. 
because that's the only way it works, right? You give this money to the banks because you think, okay, they're not loaning out enough money yeah. uh, for for you to start widget co or to invest in useful things like solar panels or you know what have you. Um, but that wasn't what's going on. It was that the real economy after the 1980s and and Thatcherism and the collapse of wages was just clapped out, right? People didn't have savings anymore. The jobs that were good are shit. Labor is much more casualized. So people, individual people, either couldn't or wouldn't borrow money because they didn't have a good job anymore. So they didn't have the prospect of paying it back. And the same goes for a lot of companies, but there was a very categorical mistake made, and Bernanke himself says so in, uh, he betrays himself in an op-ed that he wrote at the time. He said, quantitative easing will help consumers by creating more wealth for those consumers because the, rise of, because the price of stocks and shares will rise. Thereby, of course, not acknowledging the reality is that the vast majority of people don't own any stocks and shares. So this trade right. only okay, but works. That guy's... That guy's an economist and so has probably never met a normal person in his life. Do you know what I mean? Living in a, <laughs> in a fucking decrepit tower in a like enchanted forest somewhere and just like pondering people from frictionless afar room. through an orb. Do you know what I mean? Like he, he doesn't know what normal people are like. He just assumes they've all got stocks because why would they not? Stocks are great. Well, and he, and his, mates, his mates all do have them. The people he would yeah. associate with in... Per- per- perfectly spherical orbs moving through perfectly frictionless rooms. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you know what I mean? It's like he, assumes, he assumes everyone also has a, like a, a really pointy hat with a giant floppy brim because everyone he knows <laughs> wears one. Yeah, exactly. Central bank staff has a knob at the end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what they were doing is like they were making a huge and fundamental category mistake because a generation of personally wealthy bankers badly misjudged what was going on. So what they ended up doing is attacking a demand side problem i.e nobody has any more money the jobs are going and we're fucked with why don't we just supply more money to you but that you can't really touch or access because there's a misalignment between a central bank that can only deal in assets and you not having any assets so there's it's it it really is fun how many of the fucking just the fucking inherent contradictions we've just gone over just talking about the central bank because it's pretty much it feels like most of them if not all yeah, like, I mean, just not giving workers any fucking money to buy any of the widgets and <coughs> all the dude and the doodars and hmm, going. Hmm, we keep giving money to the banks, but the peasants won't spend any of their money. What's going on? <laughs> I mean, from from what I'm reading here, Rob, it sounds very much like you know you've got the real economy, which you said, and then you've got the fake one where all the stocks are and shit, and that one's like still even to this day like really overinflated in fucking value. Yeah, and, and getting bigger and bigger because since 2000, well, starting in 87, but ramping up massively since 2008 and during the Rona years, it got even fucking weirder, but that's for, for, for part two. We've just been injecting more money into the asset class, so stocks and shares and all that kind of shit. So like that's why that gap gets between the stock market and the real economy gets bigger and bigger and bigger because in it's significant proportion it's not absolute but in a significant portion that depends and is reliant on central banks just shoveling more and more money into the furnace and stoking the engine hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter uh, which of course can't ever be a problem but in terms of like trying to get using this mechanism to fix your personal 
very real income problems is incredibly inefficient and doesn't really work. I, like, I quite like the analogy uh, Mark Blythe uses on this, um, that what QE was trying to do is uh, try is you want to make a cup of tea and instead of filling the kettle with the tap what you do is you stick a fire hose through your mailbox front door and then turn it on and then wait until the fire hose hits the kettle enough so you can make a cup of tea there are more mm. efficient ways of doing this but those efficient ways of doing it absolutely 100 percent depend on the central bank and an active government to make fiscal choices. You you need both parts. Otherwise, you get this weird shit. Yeah. But we have governments that refuse to do this. Uh, 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 you know, and and looking forward a little bit, like if you remember, it was months ago we did an episode on one of Starmer's stupid speeches to the CBI, where he said <laughs> one of the most important things we will do is fiduciary duty, and that was essentially saying, <laughs> no, don't worry, we won't touch fiscal policy either. This will just stay around today. <laughs> well, thank God for that assurance of not solving any of the fucking problems. Yeah, See, you this, ponder this the money, thing- I'll ponder the loom. <laughs> yeah, this whole thing where like you know you give money to the banks and they just like spaff it all up the wall on like fucking do you know what I mean like gazing at runes or whatever the fuck the stock market involves do you know because it's like oh they could they could like give that money out in loans to normal people but then you wouldn't see as high a return on your investment so they're like ba- morally bound by the the Bushido code of capitalism to not do that <laughs> and it's like you know the economy just keeps getting worse but it's like that's why that's why every fucking company is like desperate to get into crypto and nfts and stuff because it's like you know you go all right okay we've done an nft of ronald mcdonald like fucking shagging grimace and everyone goes like holy fuck and it's like suddenly it's worth suddenly it's worth like 11 billion dollars and then you didn't you didn't actually have to do anything for that you just suddenly you've made 11 billion dollars happen out of yeah. nowhere you know what i mean worth so obviously noting, by all... the way that worth noting that 11 billion dollars is equivalent to one wes coin <laughs> um but yeah no i mean but yeah Jamie, it's like right. you know what i mean it's just it's just all oh, we've made we've made some numbers on the sheet look look better you know what i mean we've got a, we've got a higher score in excel than we've ever had before so we must be doing something right <laughs> and it's it's just fucking ridiculous do you know what i mean what we should do is we should just hand like the all the banks and everything over like they can just do crypto right they can just have like a fucking uh like a, a spreadsheet online well, no, no 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 james uh, jamie sorry <laughs> What they need is they need Eve Online. Just get the fucking bankers into Eve Online. And they can Eve Online, crazy... Eve Online, yeah. Eve, but on the blockchain, yeah. And then yeah. they can just they can just <laughs> fuck about with like their their imaginary magic number like, as much as they want, while all the actual like money ju- we can just spend on like fucking houses and food. That sounds much yeah. better. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I they mean just need to actually... em- they just need to embrace the fact that like the number in their computer is entirely fictional and they can make it say whatever they fucking want they don't need to hoard all of the goods and services on planet earth in order to make that number go up do you know what i mean you can just delete it and type a new number yeah yeah i mean essentially in the case of of nfts and i wanted to sort of talk about that a little bit already is 
you only get dumb shit like NFTs and and like um, a lot of the stuff that like Trash Future talks about, like all the weird, the blood startups and and the Juiceros and and <laughs> all the Web three bullshit we're getting now. You only get this because there's so much money sloshing around, and it's all desperate to earn a return. They all need to make their money and then some on top of it, and all like the safe stuff is either boring or doesn't make enough money quick enough. So you end up with Tesla and NFTs and Bitcoin. Well, it's they because can't, it's you it can't get enough roofs involved, isn't it? Because while it might be a fucking stupid tulip mania of an idea, you, you have free money, you might as well bet it, and the chance of you making an absolute killing, either via, you know, bored apes going mental or, you know, the theory of, of a company like Uber, which is, what if we kill all the taxi companies, we're the only game in town, and then we can do with the price what we want. That's how you get into these weird situations. Well, yeah, um, I mean, the thing is, if, you, if you've got a bunch of free money from the central bank, you might as well spend it on, like, fucking magic beans. Or some shit. Because yeah. if the magic beans actually sprout a beanstalk and you kill a giant, you'd be the first person ever to do that and it would, it would look fucking mint as publicity. You know what I mean? <laughs> Everyone would love you forever and they'd want to buy more magic beans from you. And if it turns out that that's like a fucking stupid thing that only an idiot who believes in fairy tales would ever conceive of, well, it doesn't matter that you've wasted all that money because the central bank will just give you more so that the economy doesn't suffer. Yeah. So, and in, in briefly coming back to like, and if you think there was the magic money tree, there definitely is, because just to come back to the UK for a moment. Um, well, of course, of course there is, because whenever, whenever anyone says, oh, there's no magic money tree, the, the part they're not saying, but is heavily implied is for you. Yeah, but specifically, um, the UK, the US Federal Reserve is not the only people who do this quantitative easing stuff. The ECB does it, a whole bunch of people do it, including the UK Central Bank, which has acquired, uh, and this is from their own website, £895 billion worth uh, of stuff, of which £875 billion is gilts, so is treasury certificates that the UK government has issued. So a lot of the standard operating expenses and the investments, however dumb and stupid and effective the Tories have done um, since 2010, have been funded and are now owned by the Bank of England. So essentially what you have is a situation where the UK government spends money and in order to do so issues gilts, which are bought by another part of the UK government, which just sticks it in a big black hole and says, thank you very much. And that's not a problem. <laughs> Hmm. Is that good? Well, I mean, if you if you were to have a socialist government, for example, you could use the same trick. But what's going to happen is in the financial markets is they're not going to say, oh, this is very wise and a good idea and quantitative easing. They're going to say that's socialism. And then it's bad. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, uh, we've seen that fucking game before, isn't it? It's bad now, but it's good when uh, our guys do it. It's bad when their guys do it. Yeah. And it's just... It, it's it's that, good eh? as long as it's an infinite money shovel towards already wealthy people. It's bad when it's used by your area, a nice new park or a playground. That's yeah. it, it, it. It does work that way. Um, I mean, it is like we. It was uh, something I can't remember who said it, but like uh, essentially blaming the financial crash, like you know, austerity, blaming the yeah. financial crash on opening um, like a library in like Wolverhampton. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it, it it is along those lines. So where we are now, or where 
we'll sort of leave the story um, is because I promise you we're wrapping up to the end of part one of this um, is we create a world where people with assets and with money are growing ever more galactically rich and start, stupid startups and things like, I don't know, the new version of pets.com or the metaverse, for Christ's sake, um, <laughs> get incredible valuations and you get shit like Uber. Because like Uber creates jobs. So politicians can say, yeah, you know, we created all these new jobs. The jobs are fucking shit, but that doesn't matter because even though the workers don't get a salary bump, the shares in Uber still go up because there's free money around. So according to the statistics nerds and the spreadsheet people... Yeah, the, the problem the, the problem is um, is gamification. Do you know what I mean? But like they don't, they don't realize that that's what it is. It's that like, you know, once upon a time, it was like the, you looked at how many people were unemployed and you went, oh, that's bad because like the people who are unemployed don't have any money and they're not spending that money and that money, so there's no more, there's not enough money circulating through the economy. So we need to create more jobs so that these people will have more money and then they'll circulate through the economy. And that's just been abstracted down to this number should be lower. So now you just like go, ah, right, okay. Like, is this guy, he's on a zero hours contract and most weeks he doesn't work. Then yeah, but he, he counts as he counts as employed though, so the number went yeah. down. But he did. And, but I mean, it's that, just a, a it's just an obfuscation of like what is the ultimate goal of capital, which is to make workers so des- essentially so destitute and desperate that they'll take any job at any salary. And the uh, unemployment is by its own existence a demonstration to people who are employed that things could be worse you should be grateful for the like pitiful job that you've got right now and what what we're kind of seeing is like a blurring of that line of so we've got to keep in you've got to um sort of marry having as many people unemployed as possible but also having as few people unemployed as possible so that the number looks good so what if we just have jobs that are so shit they are tantamount to being unemployed and yeah. for some reason, someone gets incredibly rich off of this. Yeah. This is a win-win. But and it does one other thing, which is incredibly important, this specific situation, because you have to remember the interest rates are incredibly low, is you also create a whole generation that doesn't have any income, it doesn't have any money, but how does it participate in a consumer society and buy a house or, you know, pay the rent or, or you know, go on holiday, that kind of shit? How they do that is with debt. And that's why personal debt is incredibly high now. Like personal credit card debt, unsecured credit card debt, uh, uh, car loan debt, all that stuff is through the fucking roof. And that's because you have created this peonage situation where nobody has money and nobody has a wage, but is expected to be a consumer in the modern economy. And the only way that this whole thing goes is if there is enough very low interest debt on your personal credit card that you can i'm not even going to say like live your fantasies and go on holiday every other week but for you just to pay the fucking groceries that's the other flip side of this and that's also very strongly related to keeping these interest rates so incredibly low another corollary when we're talking about um borrowing is some of this money went out 
from the central bank to let's say Goldman Sachs to big companies uh, like Boeing and others. Uh, but what they did with it was um, instead of investing in new plants and hiring people and building widgets was they did a lot of share buybacks. Essentially, they borrowed a shit ton of money to buy their own shares, which made the outstanding ones more expensive, which therefore was a reward to shareholders and the executives who are given big bonuses uh, on the basis of the value of the share price. And uh, since the um, great financial crisis, so since 2008, this is according to a very good documentary I watched uh, on Frontline called The Power of the Fed, which you should look up and watch as well. They put $6 trillion since the global financial crisis has gone into these buybacks. But this means that the the balance sheets of a lot of major corporations are now loaded with these corporate debts. And those are all dependent on low interest rates staking around forever. So a very minor uptick, like a, a, a very small, small uptick is enough to blow up a lot of these very funny trash future startups. A slightly larger uptick might very well kill off Boeing or Dell or Christ knows who, because it's all Aww. phantom growth. It's all... Ah, uh, the fake money was extra fake. Yes, because fake money beget fake share prices, beget a fake economy. Anyway. Not oh, that's money all the way down, that's baby. That's what we're getting into in the next episode, then. Yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit more about that, because if you thought this was already weird and fucked, um, wait until you see what happens when corona hits the global economy. Oh, yeah, I'm sure... Like perfectly normal things and reasonable adjustments etc yeah. please sir my economy it's very sick <laughs> all right then let's uh let's round this fucker off uh before we rejoin it in the behind the the paywall return to um, the mortal plane shall we yeah yeah um with some comment or commentary at. yeah I'm but hopefully so a comment a commentary at any percent speed run let's go <laughs> <laughs> Uh, comment, commentary, comment, comment. No, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> right. When my daughter turns two years old, she will not be masked at preschool. This is unmovable for our family and a deal breaker. I know what impact being out in public and trying to communicate with people masked has had on my life. Comment or commentary. Commentary. Is this Alison Pearson? In the Telegraph, it's not Alison Pearson, no. Did they say? Did they say the daughter would be at school at two? Preschool. Oh, preschool. Okay. Uh, commentary at. That was. Commentary at. It was Megan McCain in the Daily Mail. In the Daily <laughs> Mail. What's she, yeah. what's she what? doing over here? Is she branching out? Fuck knows. <laughs> I'm assuming because like Mail Online gets a mad amount of readership in the US. That's true. Um, that's probably why she's featured Did, in there. Was the first paragraph my father became uh, senior, <laughs> senior, the war criminal? I didn't. I didn't actually notice a single mention of him. So she's obviously starting to do better. So she must be very ill. Personal growth. Or, or, or well, one can hope. Um, moving <laughs> on. I'm not sure I believe Boris, but I do believe in him. Remember the vast majority voted him in, knowing that he could be a naughty boy, and against many predictions, he produced a stonking majority. Would you like his job? 
I don't think so. He hasn't been allowed to govern having to deal with two years of unprecedented situations mm. outside his control. So that before we count him out of office, I think he deserves another chance. Comment or commentary yet. Right. The next person who writes or says the words stonking majority, I'm going to hit them in the <laughs> face with a hammer. Uh, comment. Commentaria, that's got to be. Commentaria. That was Commentaria, and you will never fucking guess who. It would be here for hours, and you would never guess. It was again the Daily Mail, and this was Anthony Worrell Thompson. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, th- I thought that cunt had died. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, th- I thought he wasn't around either, but apparently he is. Unless maybe the Daily Mail just has the rights to his name and face or some this, shit. This must, this, must be how, this must be how like Darth Vader feels when like Obi-Wan turns up on the Death Star, do you know what I mean? Like, fucking hell, that cunt's still alive. <laughs> uh, is he the one that got done for shoplifting, or was that a different TV show? No, yeah, that was him. He was done for shoplifting. Ah, brilliant. Okay, now he, he's got he, he shoplifted okay. wine and cheese from a Tesco. <laughs> just to just to feel something. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Next one. Even when he seems to suspect he is being lied to, all he will do is get his guests to repeat whatever it is they've said, and say, "Really? Wow, that's interesting." This is the way non-confrontational men tend to communicate when they socialise in groups. Over the last two years, I've listened to hundreds of hours of the Joe Rogan experience. Comment or commentary. <laughs> Comment. Comment. Uh, I don't know. Comment. <laughs> yeah, why not? Should we, should we rebrand as a non-confrontational co- uh, podcast and just go, mm, yes, that's interesting <laughs> to each other? <laughs> oh, that was commentary. That was Damien Riley in The Spectator. Oh. Never heard of him. Me oh, neither. That no, so that was like that was a lovely gift. Um, right, la- last one. Back in the nineties, reading food packets for junk ingredients was a typical left-wing hobby. Many of the opinions that were held by the left-leaning devotees of mung beans and carob in my youth have become the preserve of the right, and especially of its weirder online subcultures. Comment or commentary. What's is this another? Have you have you given us like a have uh, I, like a four p of commentary? Have I, have I hit my head? <laughs> this 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 if this is commentary, I'm I'm trying to think which pricks were young in the nineties that are like fucking you know what I mean writing this sort of shit today. These are the kind, this sounds like the kind of person that was surprised that uh, like hippie in hyper individualistic free love type people ended up being like massive fucking right wingers as they got older. <laughs> Oh, is it Caitlin Moran? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my guess. Right, okay, you're saying commentary. You're saying commentary. Yep. Oops, all commentary. That was Mary Harrington writing for the Cow website. <laughs> <laughs> A fine pick. <laughs> mm. Mm. So yeah, that's that was comment or commentary, except it was all commentary. Um, yeah, so hope you enjoyed that. Uh, so why Why would you, you hope that? Uh, it's like, it's, it's like, it's like going for ice cream and getting up, all syrup. Setting yourself no, I, up for disappointment by hoping that. No, I, I would hope you enjoyed that because it was a very painful 45 minutes trying to fucking dig all this shit out. So I would like to think it wasn't entirely for fuck all. Well, uh, 
Speaking of things that were entirely <laughs> fuckable, if you would like to hear the second part of this episode where we talk about central banking, um, you check it out at Patreon. It will be out by next week. It will be out next week, and you will have that on the feed for five pounds a month. Uh, more if you'd like to. You don't have to, and we will you be should. streaming some Mondays uh, for the rest of the month, and definitely Thursdays for the rest of the month. That's Twitch.tv forward slash PraxisCast. And uh, yeah, I except this week when we're it. recording. Except yeah, except today. If you're listening to this on, th- oh, yeah, except, we got this out on Thursday, today. and you're listening to it on Thursday, and if you can find them, maybe the A team can help. <laughs> 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 Forgot where I was oh. going at the start of that. Oh yeah, we're not streaming this week. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. On that note, um, we will we'll catch you later. Yeah, we'll see and you on the goodbye. Patreon for part two. Yep. Cheerio. See ya. Bye. <laughs>